James chapter 4, verse 17. While you're finding that, you know, people ask me all the time, well, what kind of songs do y'all sing up at your church? I tell them the old hymns. You don't sing any of the newer stuff? I don't sing none of the newer stuff. The 7-Eleven songs, it's the same words, same seven words repeated 11 times. I don't like them. I don't much care for them. They don't talk about, they hardly ever mention Jesus Christ, believe it or not. And they for sure don't mention the blood of Jesus Christ. And the reason why I like these old hymns, because these old hymns, like what you were just singing, will do better preaching than I'm going to do this morning. That will preach. Did you read that? It said, living he loved me, dying he saved me, buried he carried my sins far away, rising he justified freely forever, one day he's coming, oh glorious day. Man, that'll preach. Man, when I got to singing that with you guys, I was thinking, man, that's, that's some good preaching right there. I can, that's, a good, that's a good preacher's outline. Bearing our sins, my Redeemer is He. One, and then it says here, one day the grave could, could conceal Him no longer. One day the stone rolled away from the door. Then He arose over death He had conquered. Now is ascended my Lord evermore. Man, come on, guys, that preaches. And that, that's so much, uh -huh, that's a million times better than I praise thee, 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 I praise thee. I praise thee. You say, you got a bad attitude. I have a horrible attitude about those new songs. I'm, I'm really funny about it. And the reason I'm funny about it is not because I'm old-fashioned, it's because I love Jesus Christ. And I look for Jesus Christ. And I look for what saved me. And what saved me was the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And what you don't find, now check it out. Don't take my word for it. Check it out. A, a lot of these new songs, they don't have the blood. And they don't mention Jesus. They'll say he. Or they'll say him. Or they'll say God. But the name of Jesus Christ, far and in between. Now there's some of them that do that. I'm not saying they're all like that. But a lot of them are. And I, uh, at times I've visited other churches, we get up and we stand, and they'll have, them on the, they'll have all the words on the screen. And I'll be sitting there, it's like, why do they put the words on there? There's only four of them. <laughs> I mean, I can't remember those four words. I praise Him in the highest. I praise Him in the highest. I praise Him in the highest. <gasps> I praise Him in the highest. I praise Him. It's just, come on. Did y'all know y'all were coming to hear that? I don't think so. I had to get that out of my system. James chapter 4, verse 17. James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verse 17. One last note on that. Dr. Ruckman, who I was under, he used to make fun of them. He used to make fun of them because he said uh, they would sing, uh, I praise you, I praise you. He goes, won't you shut up and start doing it? <laughs> See, when you sing what, we, what I was showing you, you're praising Jesus Christ for saving you, for redeeming you, for carrying your sins away, for rising from the grave. You're praising Jesus Christ. You know what I know about the Lord? He likes that. It's different than I will praise Him, I will praise Him. I, it's all focused on you. I will, I will, I can, I will, I will praise Him, I will praise Him. It's all a, Let's talk about Him. Let's talk about Jesus Christ and what He did. And that's what these old hymns do, and that's why I love them. And I'm never going to stop singing them. Unless Matthew leaves and we get a new song director, then we'll find some. <laughs> uh, then we might have to have a fist fight out in the parking lot with a new song director. I'm not against new music. Now, some of y'all think I'm old-fashioned. I'm not against new music. What I'm against is not glorifying Jesus Christ. And that's why I want to glorify our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. James chapter 4, verse 17. Therefore, to him that knoweth...
to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. I'll read that again. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, you know you need to be doing some good, it knoweth to do good, but don't do it, doeth it not, to him it is sin. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray, Father, you speak to our heart this morning the truth. And, Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit will lead us, guide us, and direct us into all truth, Lord God. I pray, Father, that Jesus Christ will be glorified and lifted up in every way. Lord God, help us to do these things because Jesus Christ would expect us, Lord God, because we love him, Lord. I pray, Lord, that the works we do, the, the, the things we do, Lord God, will not be to try to get some kind of point system, Lord Jesus, but it will be to please you, Lord, that it will be to honor you, Lord. You're worth everything we do, Lord, and we're not working to the cross, Lord Jesus. We're working from your cross to do good works for you, Lord God, to have you glorified in the world, and people will see you in us. And, Lord, I pray, Father, they would. And, Lord, I pray, Lord, your word wouldn't be bound this morning, Lord. It would go freely, Lord, and that there would be liberty in this church. In Jesus Christ, holy name I pray, amen. I'm going to preach this morning on the sin, the sin of doing nothing. The sin of doing nothing. Thomas Brooks, took, Thomas Brooks was an old Puritan, and he said it best. He said, it's not enough... That the, that the tree does not bear evil fruit. He said it's not enough that the tree does not bear evil fruit, but it must bring forth good fruit. And what he means is that it's not enough for us to, do, to not do bad things. It's not enough for a Christian to stop doing something. What, a Christian, what the Lord expects out of a Christian is the Lord expects us to start doing something. It's not enough not to be doing things. The Lord expects us to be doing things. He expects to... Go along and to find fruit on us. And that's what the Lord expects. So it's a sin. To, uh, there's a sin of doing nothing. And you read it there in verse 17. Therefore to him that know what to do good. You know there's something good you should be doing. You know there's something good you can do. And you don't do it. You do it at not. To him it is sin. It's a sin not to be doing some of the things we should be doing. Now what is that pastor? I don't know what that is in your life. I don't know what the Lord spoke to your heart about. I don't know who you can help. I don't know who's out there. I don't know who's in your circle of friends or co-workers or what it is. There might be something you know I need to be doing that. Or maybe the Lord spoke to your heart in that still, small, silent voice to say, hey, I, and, and presses on your heart to do something. And you just have said, no, nah, I don't want to do that. Or I don't, want, I don't feel like doing that. Or I don't have the time to do that. Or I don't want to give away my money to do that. Whatever the circumstance. I don't know what the circumstances is. But the Lord warns you there, therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And I want to preach this morning about that, the sin of doing nothing. Now turn to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. Same book, James chapter 2, verse 15. So the sin of doing nothing for your brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm going to show you three different things about the sin of doing nothing. So look at James chapter 2, verse 15. So there's a sin of the sin of doing nothing for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Look at verse 15. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, they don't have any clothes, nakedness in a the sense they don't have any clothes, they, they, they need some new shoes, maybe they need a coat, whatever it might be, and destitute of daily food, they don't have enough food in the refrigerator. It's a brother and sister in Christ. Look at verse 16. And one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? Amen. What good does that do? 
They knock on your door and they said, "Hey, uh, I don't have any. Uh, I don't have any food in the refrigerator. My my kids are not are, not, are hungry. I, I just uh, is there anything way you can help? I'll be praying for you. God bless you. I'll be praying for you. Well, brothers and sisters, those prayers don't fill a hungry a belly. Those prayers don't feed a hungry belly, and we need to kind of keep that in mind. It's a sin not to do anything, and sometimes we get caught up into that. I'll be praying for you when the Lord wants us to be doing something for them. I hope the Lord blesses you. Good luck. Sends them on their way when the Lord expects us to be doing something for them. That's a sin. That's the easiest thing to say. Even the world says, you'll be in my thoughts and prayers. Well, your thoughts don't do me any good. But a, but a, a, but a loaf of bread does, Amen. We forget that. But it's easy to do that. That's why that 2 Chronicles 7, 19, whatever you see, you see it out there in the world where they say, you know, America's only hope, prayer. And they quote, was it 2 Chronicles 7, 19 or 7? America's only hope, prayer. Well, if you go read that verse, it's a lot more than prayer. Prayer is the easiest part of that recipe. The Bible says, God says in that verse, He says, you need to turn from your wicked ways, you need to seek God, and then you need to pray. But they don't forget those, they forget those other hard things you got to do. They only want to talk about prayer. Prayer is the easiest thing you can do. But prayer doesn't feed a person's belly. Look at Matthew chapter 25. I want to show you these principles to this morning. Look at Matthew chapter 25. I'm going to turn to some scripture. So uh, we're going to be going through the Bible. But I'm going to show you these principles all through your Bible about the sin of doing nothing. And we're focusing on the sin of doing nothing for your brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm going to show you these principles. You'll find this all through the Bible of men and women not doing anything and the Lord calls them out for it. It's not enough to stop doing something, which is what we tend to preach about and what we tend to think about and focus on. We tend to focus on, I need to stop doing this, I need to stop doing that. Well, the Lord says, okay, now I want you to be doing this and be doing that. And there's a sin in not doing that. Look at Matthew 25, verse 41. Matthew 25, verse 41. And then this is the judgment of the nations. But we're going we're to see this principle played out. And when, when Jesus Christ comes back as King of kings and Lord of lords, he sits on that throne in Jerusalem. He's going to judge the nations on how they treated the Jew. His brothers and sisters, how they treated the Jew. And he's going to judge them. And that's what this is describing here. But look at verse 41 because I want to show you this principle here. Verse 41. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, the goats on the left hand. Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So he's sending them off to hell. And notice that hell was never prepared for you and me. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell is not meant for me and you. But because of God's holiness and because of our sin, we must go there to stay away from God's holiness. God's holiness cannot have sin in it. And it was prepared for the devil and his angels. It was never prepared for you. But he says, depart from me. Now look at why he says that, verse 42. For I was a hungered, and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in. Naked, and you clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and you visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw thee a hungered, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked? or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee. 
Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, and as much as ye did it not to one of the least of these, that's his brother, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Now we're not talking about salvation, that salvation is tied to these things. That's for the judgment of the nations. But what is tied to these things is that God being pleased with you and you not being a sinner. And knowing that there's things that God expects out of you. And when we're not doing it, God's not pleased about it. Remember when Paul was killing Christians and arresting Christians right and left? And when, did, when Jesus Christ knocked him down on the road to Damascus? He, what, did, what did Jesus say to Paul? Why persecutest thou me? Well, Paul wasn't persecuting Jesus. He was persecuting all those Christians. But in Jesus Christ's eyes, when you don't do it for one of his brothers and sisters, one of his, you're doing it to him. Brothers and sisters, when we have loved ones in this church or anywhere out there that are in the hospital or need some help, it's our job to be doing something for them. And if we don't do something for them, it's a sin. Well, uh, I'll... I'll let them do this, or I'll let them do that. And we always have these excuses. It's somebody else's job. It's your job if the Lord's laid it on your heart. Now, I don't know if the Lord's laid it on your heart, amen. I can't speak for the Lord. I can't speak for you. I can speak for me. There's times where I've been driving down the road, going back and forth from this church. I see somebody broke down, and the Lord will speak to my heart. It's like, pull over and help them. I'm like, not today, Lord. Just keep on driving. Say, so you like that? I'm really like that. What am I going to do to help them? And then I'll get, and my wife's been with me, I'll get about a mile down the road, and it'll be like the conviction is so heavy. <laughs> I'll be like, okay, and I'll turn around and go back, you know. So last Sunday, and Terry, I see Terry might mean remembering what I'm about to say. Last Sunday I left church here, you know, I'm running behind. I always, I'm always running behind. Like uh, Daryl and I talk about, I'm always got something going on. Always busy, busy, busy. So I leave church. We're running behind, so we get out of here, we pull out, we're driving off there. And I pull up there at Brother Adam's house, and he's at the edge of his porch, and you can tell he's sick, like he's throwing up. And Terry's got a hold of him, and he's over at the edge of his porch going like that. And my sweet, loving, caring, Holy Spirit-filled wife says, do you want to stop and see if you can help? And I said, no. <laughs> I don't want to see him throwing up, because then that'll make me throw up. That'll make me sick. I, I don't want to help him. Just go on. There's nothing I can do. I'm not a nurse. What am I going to do? I'm not a doctor. Just keep on driving. Well, he was having a heart attack. <laughs> yeah. So see, that you don't think this verse don't these verses don't convict me? When I drove on down the road and then I got the call later on that he's in the emergency room, he's not doing good, he's had a heart attack and everything else, I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> the Lord doesn't just want to slap me around. What did I say? I'm not a nurse. I'm not a doctor. It's, somebody else. it's a nurse or doctor's job, right? But sometimes we need to be there for them physically as much as spiritually. We need to be there for them spiritually as much as physically. Sometimes we need to pull over and say, hey, man, brother, I'll pray with you while the ambulance is coming. I could have done that, amen? So one of the first things I say when I got a hold of Brother Adams is like, I apologize, brother. I told him exactly what I did. I confessed my sin. I said, I'm sorry, brother. Oh, it's okay. It's okay, Pastor. No, it's not okay. I should have listened to my wife. I should have stopped and at least come out and make sure. So if any of y'all are throwing up at any time and I see it, I will stop and help you guys. I promise. I will, Lord willing, I will help you guys. I, I, you know, I, this stuff kind of hit home to me because I got to thinking about, you remember when Jesus Christ had, those, had the, the thousands 
And they were out in the wilderness, and he was preaching to them. And the disciples came to Jesus, and they said, Hey, these people are hungry. We need to send them on so they can go get something to eat. Because, excuse me, it's getting late in the day. So the disciples' attitude was, Man, you all look hungry. Well, we'll be praying for y'all when y'all go on back home. The Lord will find you something to eat. We'll be praying for you. Good luck. That was the disciples' attitude, right? What did Jesus say to them? No, you feed them. Remember? The Bible says he was testing them. They're like, hey, Lord, you need to send these on. They need to get some food. And uh, we need to send them on. We'll be praying for them that they find some food on the way, Lord Jesus. But we need to go ahead and send them on. The Lord said, no, 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 you feed them. What was the disciples' answer? We don't have nothing to feed them. All we have is a couple of loaves here and some fish. What? Ah. The Lord said, you feed them. See, some of y'all might be out here saying, there's something I can do, but I don't have the resources. I can't do it. Have you allowed the Lord to work in your life? Have, the, have you allowed the Lord to do something really miraculous in your life? The Lord's never done a miracle for me. Maybe you've never allowed him to. I know in my Christian walk, there's times I've stepped out for the Lord, and the Lord showed up in a mighty way. I've told this story multiple times from up here, but I, one time I was in Pensacola, and when I was up in Pensacola, man, I was broke as broke can be. I was eating popcorn every night for supper. I didn't have any food. I was just skimping by, and I had $20 to my name, and a Romanian, a Romanian missionary came through, and he was showing how that the Romanians would walk like two or three miles or more in, in, in freezing weather with snow like four feet deep to go to church, and they didn't have any Bibles. And he was telling stories about that. And the Lord laid it so heavy in my heart. And when the offering plate came by, I took my last $20. And the Lord knows my heart. I took my last $20 and I put it in an offering plate for that missionary. And I said, Lord, I'll just fast the rest of the week. Because I wasn't going to get paid for about another five days. I didn't get paid till the next Friday. And this was a Sunday night. And I, told my, and I told the Lord in my heart, Lord, I'll just fast the rest of the week. Because I had such a heart and I just gave. It was like the fishes and the loaves. I didn't know where the money's going to come from, but here you go, Lord. That night when I left, I went, I, that night I left church, I went and called home, and when I called home, I found out that the Sunday school class had took up a love offering for me, and they were sending it to me, and then I was going to have money the next day. Mm-mm-mm. I broke down in tears. You know why? The Lord took care of me. I just tried to do something. I knew I needed to do something. And the Lord took care of me. And I never would have imagined how. I'm here to tell you guys, if you want to see the Lord work in your life, you need to step out of that little box you're in. And start doing something. Do something for the Lord. Allow Him to do something with you. Look at Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. We have responsibilities as brothers and sisters in Christ to take care of each other. Galatians chapter 6. Verses 1 and 2. We have a responsibility... As Christians, brothers and sisters of Christ take care of each other. And sometimes that's more than just prayer. You know, we, take, we have a, a good prayer, uh, prayer, praying church here on Wednesday nights. We have prayer requests. I see lots of people out there in the, in the audience. When I, when I go, they're, they're writing down names. So I'm assuming if they're writing down the names, they're going to try to pray over that name during the week. And uh, we've got a good praying church. But sometimes we know that prayer, people need more than prayer. And people have burdens, and people have troubles, and people have sorrows, and people have problems. And they need something more than just you saying, hey, I'll be praying for you. Sometimes they need you to physically give your time and your energy and be with them. Look at verse 1, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, 
He, he has a sin. He has a fault. Ye which are spiritual, restore such as one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Look at verse 2. Bear ye one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. How are you going to fulfill the law of Christ? Christ has a law just like there's the Ten Commandments. Christ has his own law. How are you going to fulfill that law? Well, to fulfill that law is to bear you one another's burdens. You see a brother or sister has a burden, bear it with them. Sometimes that bearing is as much as just sitting down and crying with them. If they're hurting, if they're hurting, we should be hurting. There's things y'all have told me in this church that when I leave the church... It bothers me the rest of the week. Until I see y'all again on a Sunday, or maybe I'll see you on a Wednesday, and ask you, well, how's that going? How's that going? You say, well, it's, it's, it's going better, Pastor. And it makes me feel good, but it bothers me. It hurts me. We should be bearing one another's burdens. There should be pro- when somebody's hurting in this church, we should be hurting. We're all part of the body of Christ, amen? And Paul describes it as like a little toe. You know that little toe, that little member that you, don't think's worth, that you don't think means very much to the body? When you stump that little toe, the rest of your body feels it. It's the body of Christ. So the least of us, when, somebody, when the least of us is hurting, then we should be hurting. If there's a burden that needs to be bared, we need to bear it. You know what the opposite of this is, right? Christians, they take burdens from other people. But a Pharisee lays burdens on them. I don't want to be a Pharisee. I don't want to be a hypocrite Christian that puts my burden on other people. What I mean by that is putting burdens on people that they can't handle, that they can't bear. Like putting, I want everybody in this room to have the liberty that we have in Jesus Christ. And I don't want to put laws and undue laws and burdens on you. I want you to have the liberty in Jesus Christ to be able to live your life and live it more abundantly. And I've been in churches and I've been under some preaching where the preacher's giving you burdens to bear. You're bearing these burdens. And you say, I don't want to bear these burdens. That's what a Pharisee does. But as a Christian, we're trying to help people take burdens off, trying to help them carry them burdens. Our Lord and Savior said, my my yoke is light. He's talking about the burden that you would bear. And when you put that yoke on there, and, and there's two of them, and he's, he'll pull with you. And that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's the way we're supposed to be. But it's a sin not to be that way. Do you see what I'm going through? It's a sin to do nothing. It's a sin to do nothing. Look at Exodus chapter 23. Let's switch gears. Exodus chapter 23. Now, this is a principle found at the very beginning of your Bible all the way through your Bible. Exodus chapter 23, look at verse 4. Exodus chapter 23, verse 4. So this is a principle that the Lord gives to His people. Of course, to Christians, we're reading about it. To Christians, but He also gave it to Israel under the law. This is a principle that... It's from the beginning of the Bible all the way to the end. You'll find this principle of doing something. Now, I want to show you that it's a sin to do nothing for your neighbor and for your enemy and for the lost. Look at verse 4. Exodus chapter 23, verse 4. If thou meet thine enemy's ox or his ass going astray, thou shalt surely bring it back to him again. So if you have a neighbor that you don't like, y'all be honest with me. You've got to have neighbors you don't like. And you see your neighbor's cows wandering around. The Lord says, you need to take those cows, help your neighbor out, and go put them back up. Instead of driving down the road and laughing. <laughs> oh, Jack's going to have a problem with that one. 
That's what he gets, that old fool. Ha, 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 ha. The Lord says, hey, you know what? You see that? If thou meet thine enemy's ox or his ass going astray, thou shalt surely bring it back to him. Look at the next verse. If thou see the ass of him that hateth thee, he hates you, lying under his burden, and wouldest forbear to help him, thou shalt surely help with him. You got somebody who hates your guts, you see them needing some help, you better stop and help them. I didn't put that in your Bibles right there in black and white. That's the Lord's heart. You know what Jesus Christ did with this? Jesus Christ took this and he said, love your enemies. He enhanced it. Love your enemies. Now we don't, anybody in this room, nobody in this room likes that. We all have enemies. And the Lord says, you see them in trouble, you need to help them. So it's a sin not to do something for your enemies. It's enough that it's not, it's a, it's a sin, it's enough of a sin not to do something for your brothers and sisters in Christ, but it's a sin not to do something for your enemies. Not to do nothing for your enemies or for the lost, for your neighbor. You say, who's my neighbor? Right? Who's my enemy? Who's my neighbor? They asked Jesus the same question. What did he do? He told the story of the Good Samaritan. You remember that story? The guy went down to Jericho and he fell among thieves. He got robbed and beat up and he's laying on the, uh, laying on the road half dead. And here comes, a, here comes a priest. He's a religious leader of that day. And he comes along and he sees that man there that needs help. And what does he do? He does nothing and walks on the other way, right? And then here comes the Levite, and the Levite comes. He's a Bible believer, we would say. He really believes the law. He's a stickler about the law, and he's walking along, and he sees that man beat up. He, this man needs some help. This man needs somebody to help him out. And he sees him, and what does he do? He does nothing and walks the other way. There's a sin in doing nothing. And he took that sorry dog of a Samaritan, a Samaritan that the Jews thought was a dog, Nothing, worth, nothing more than a dog. And it took that Samaritan who stopped. And what did that Samaritan did? He did something. Amen? Remember the story? What did he do? He went over there and said, I'll be praying for you. And then he walked away. That's not what he did, is it? That's what a lot of us would want to do, right? He went over there and he took him and he cleaned him up. And he put him on his, on his, on his uh donkey and he carried him off and what did he do he carried him to the inn and he went to the inn and he went to the innkeeper and he says here take him and take care of him and if there's any more that needs to be done I'll pay it when I get back wow that was a stranger he'd never met that man before that's doing something amen that's doing something and it's a sin not to do nothing for your enemies or for the lost. Look at Proverbs chapter 24. I'm going to show you this verse. I hate this verse, but I'm going to show it to you. I don't like this verse at all. Proverbs 24. This is one of those verses I tell you about all the time. I wish I could take it out of my Bible, cut it out. I don't, I don't like to even mention it because it's tough. Proverbs 24, verse 17. Proverbs 24, verse 17. Look at this one. Y'all got some enemies that's going on bad times? If you're like me, when I see somebody I don't like having a bad time, I laugh about it. Man, I'm a mocker. Woo. I'm bad about it, brothers and sisters. When I see Biden slipping and falling down on those steps on the Air Force One, I get a good laugh out of that. I mean, I can't help it. I say, <laughs> look at him falling. When I see him stumbling around on his words, I get all laughing and giggling. And you know what the, look at what the Lord thinks about that. Proverbs 24, 17, Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth, 
Let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth, lest the Lord see it, and it displease him, and he turn away his wrath from him. Ouch! I don't like that verse. The Lord says, you know what? You see, somebody you don't like is having troubles, and you're kind of giggling about it, and in your heart you're like, ah, <laughs> he's getting what he deserves. The Bible says, hey, be careful, because the Lord sees that, and it might make him not happy, and he starts blessing that guy. Mm. Getting kind of quiet in here. Look at John chapter 3. Let's close this up. This is enough of a sermon here to keep you for the week. <laughs> John chapter 3. Look at John chapter 3. This is an important principle here. And uh, we're closing, guys. If you, go to, if you go to Gospel of John chapter 3, this is where we're going to close. And we're getting close to closing. So I showed you that it's a sin to do nothing for your brothers and sisters in Christ. I showed you that it's a sin to do nothing for your neighbor, your enemy, and the lost. And finally... It's a sin to do nothing about your disease of sin. It's a sin to do nothing about the disease that you have called sin. Look at John chapter 3, verse 18. Now, I quote this verse all the time, but I want to really hit home about this this morning. Maybe some of y'all have never really physically, with your own eyes, looked at this verse, but you need to read it with me. He that believeth on him is not condemned. Talking about on Jesus Christ. If you put your faith on Jesus Christ, you're not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. See, what sends a person or a man to hell, man or woman, boy or girl to hell, is, a, is not believing on Jesus Christ. It's not the sin of commission. It's actually the sin of omission, omitting. They're omitting the cure. So when you go to the doctor, and you go to the doctor, and the doctor says, you've got this horrible disease, but I've got the cure, I've got the shot. If you, get up, if you stand up and say, I'm not going to take that shot, I don't believe that shot will cure me, and you walk out that doctor's office, and you die of that disease, whose fault is that? Can't be the doctor. The doctor offered you the cure, amen. It's your fault because you wouldn't take the cure. So what Jesus is saying there is the cure is believing on him and you're not condemned. But if you don't believe, you say, well, I'll just get up onto heaven and then I'll work, work it out with heaven. He says, no, he that believeth not is condemned already. You're condemned. You're a walking dead man. You've been judged. You've been condemned. Everybody in this room has been condemned. And the only way you're going to get out of that condemnation is through putting your faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. That's what verse 18 tells us. And that's what Jesus Christ is teaching Nicodemus here. He that believeth on him is not condemned. Praise God. But he that believeth not, hasn't took the cure, has done nothing about the cure of sin, the disease of sin, believeth not, is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. I'm going to use Brother Adams as another illustration again, but when Brother Adams was talking to the doctor, the doctor came in and the doctor says, uh, you need this surgery, you're going to have to have open heart surgery. We went in there, we're not going to be able to go in, we're going to have to open you up, we're going to have to go in there and do that. Brother Adam's response to that, which is the same response I would have had, amen, Brother Adam's response to that, being an older gentleman, he said, I'm afraid I'm going to die on the operating table, which is a legit concern. He said, doctor, I'm afraid I'm going to die on the operating table, and the doctor's response is, you're going to die either way. If you don't have this surgery, you're going to die anyway. You've got to have it. So Brother Adams, by faith, amen, by faith, trusted in the doctor. He put himself under the doctor's care. He put his faith on the doctor, amen. And this morning, Brother Adams is doing a lot better. 
Guys, Jesus Christ is the great physician. And everybody in this room has the disease of sin in their body, and you're going to die from it. Everybody. And the only cure of that is putting your faith on Jesus Christ. And you come in, and you can hear a preacher tell you the cure. He can give you the cure, but it's up to you to take that cure. But I'm here to tell you, you're going to die either way. You need Jesus Christ. He's the sin cure. And it's a sin to do nothing. Look at verse 36, and we're closing. Verse 36. Chapter 3, verse 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Amen. You're not going to get it. You have it right now. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ this morning, say amen. 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 I like to hear that. I wish it had been a little bit louder, but I know y'all hadn't. If you, if you were close to dying, you'd probably say amen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you know you're about to test it out. Amen, I have. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. That's that wrath. It's abiding on you. And I wanted to read that verse to you to kind of drive home a sec- as a second witness to what I've been preaching about, about needing the cure. But it's also I wanted to read verse 36 to you in closing to let you Christians know that it's a sin not to be telling people they need the cure. We need to do a better job of handing out gospel tracts, inviting people to church, telling people that Jesus Christ will save them. And that without Jesus Christ, they're going to a devil's hell. Is that popular? Not in the least. But we need to do a better job of it. We need to be getting out there offending people. We need to do a better job of letting people know. You say, well, that's not my job. That's everybody's job. That's just not my job as a pastor. That's everybody's job. God expects fruit off everybody in this room. And some of the, the, some of the greatest fruit a Christian can produce is the fruit of salvation. Because you know what you do when you, when you produce the fruit of salvation? You produce another tree that produces fruit. Because all fruit does. All fruit is there is to drop and to produce another tree that produces fruit. So the main fruit we're supposed to be producing is winning people to Jesus Christ. Telling the lost world about Jesus Christ. Whatever way the Lord's laid on your heart. I know some of y'all are not as outgoing as me. Maybe not as bold as me. But I'm here to tell you y'all can do it through uh, a, a, a gospel uh, scripture on the back of your car, handing out, leaving gospel tracts. You might not be bold enough to hand somebody one, but leave them in the bathroom somewhere, leave them in places, leave them on park benches, wherever. But get the truth out there. Let's get the truth out there because it's a sin, brothers and sisters, if we do nothing. Because the devil's not going to be doing it. The world's not going to be doing it. It's our job to be doing it. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you, Father, for the cure of our sin disease. Thank you for the cure of Jesus Christ, Lord God, and I thank you that it's simple by faith. Lord, you don't expect us to do, be doing any kind of great work, Lord God. And Hello, friends. This is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church of Indian Gap, Texas. If you'd like to contact us, you can do it at IndianGapBaptist.com. On the Internet, it's IndianGapBaptist.com. But I have a question for you. If you died tonight, do you know if you would go to heaven? You know, if you're not sure, let me show you a few verses out of the Bible so you can know if you have eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. 
So that verse tells us there that you can know you have eternal life. And I want to show you how you can know that. Jesus Christ talked in John chapter 3, verse 16, and most people have heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's an amazing verse, of course, talking about how God gave Jesus Christ as a gift to the world. But verse 17 and 18, he went on to say something interesting. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the whole reason Jesus Christ came into this world was to save you and to save me and you. But in verse 18, he says something that's amazing. He says that he that believeth on him is not condemned. He's stressing a faith. It's putting your faith into Jesus Christ. But he says there in verse 18, But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So he says you're condemned already if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ. It's not like you're going to go to heaven and you're going to stand before God and you're going to have God put your good deeds on the scale and your bad deeds on on the other side of the scale and he's going to weigh it. And if you've been a good enough person down on this earth that he'll let you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Jesus Christ is real explicit here to say that you're condemned already. You need a savior right now. The same chapter down in verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It goes back to a believe, putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the verse continues, And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. See, it's going on right now. You need a Savior right now. You need to be saved from a devil's hell. Paul sums it up real good here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, Thou shalt be saved. It's putting your faith in Jesus Christ from the heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's very important to confess Jesus Christ because the mouth shows where the heart's at. And in verse 13 he sums it up. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So friends, as simple as just bowing your head and saying a prayer, something like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you can came up from the grave and are alive right now listening to me. I invite you into my heart to save me. Please save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you prayed something similar to that, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. And God bless you. And until next time. Casting all your care upon him